After all the shocks in week number one, did week number two deliver? You bet it did. Let's talk all about it. This is the Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast. Hello, everyone. Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL Podcast. Yeah, after all the shocks of week number one, week number two had its fair share of action, fair share of injuries. I'm sure we'll touch on some of those as well as we get through it all. Let's welcome the boys into the podcast. Steve, evening, my friend. How are you tonight? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Brought back down to earth with a bump uh, <laughs> with uh, Philadelphia's game against San Francisco, but still some positives. And uh, yeah, it's just great to have football back, isn't it? Uh, some more wonderful plays, some more wonderful action. And yeah, uh, we're going to get into it. Yeah, looking forward to talking all about it, mate. And Josh, welcome in, mate. How are you? Not bad. I feel like uh, I feel like we're well into the season already, week two, and I already feel like I've got way more than my fill. Um, I think I, I feel like the six PMs were a little were a bit like a Monday, and the the late slate really got me up. So I'm currently still sleep deprived. The NFL still doing a good job of that. So yeah, uh, yeah let's get our teeth in. It is, mate. Yeah, the prime time games have been particularly good so far this year. They, they seem have. to have uh, struck, struck quite lucky. Even the Thursday nights are between New York and Washington, as everyone's probably already forgotten about, served up a, a bit of a treat to open the week. But let's start with um, let's start with Sunday's action, and let's go back to front, if you like, because I think probably certainly on paper the game of the day was going to be the Chiefs and Ravens. We felt after Week One where the Ravens. You know, couldn't take care of business against the Raiders, and we saw what the Chiefs did against the Browns. That the Chiefs potentially were going to have a little bit of a field day. Ravens obviously dealing with an awful lot of injuries and, and suffered more injuries during the game. But eventually, at the fourth time of asking, Lamar Jackson does get the Chiefs monkey off his back. Um, first time that he's actually been able to get the W against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Um, obviously, could have been a very different result had the final 90 seconds gone slightly differently, Steve. But uh, great win for the Ravens. And, and certainly, I think, for the AFC, it makes everything very interesting because there's only two undefeated teams. And I don't think anyone thinks those two undefeated teams are going to exactly run away with this conference. So it just shows how tight this AFC contest is going to be all the way down the stretch, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you yourself uh, predicted it a couple of weeks back that the Chiefs would lose their um, their September unbeaten record. And so they have, you know, week two, uh, they go down to the Ravens, um, a real tight game. And, and um, as you as we were just saying off air there, uh, Josh, you know, um, you mentioned that the, the Chiefs didn't necessarily, sorry, the Ravens didn't necessarily win this game. The Chiefs lost it. And, and I think it was a lot to do with that fumble right at the very end. And, yeah. you know, when you're a team as good as the Chiefs are, you, you can be defined by by tiny single moments in games. Um, and, and that that fumble turned out to be costing them a game and how important that could come to be towards the end of the season. And I, I think you have to start asking the question, should Kansas City be worried about their defence? 
Like, you know, they've they've yes. just conceded at 36 points, you know, and and you know they only just managed to to creep past your boys last week. You know, they're not they're not shutting out teams. They you know they've they've relied so much on on Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill to just bail them out of scenarios and just score more points than the other team. And I think the, you know you have to start asking that question. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Chiefs' defense, uh, I actually had this stat saved for, um, for for our preview pod later in the week. But they are currently the most expensive on defense at the moment. They ship four hundred and sixty nine yards per game on defense. That is the worst. And in terms of points, it's thirty two and a half points a game at the moment, which is twenty uh, seventh in the league. Now, Cleveland and Baltimore are both excellent offenses, as we know. So that does have to play into it. And they've both been very high charged. You know, everyone's going to go at the Chiefs this year. But to have the Browns and the Ravens, one after the other, was always going to be a tough ask for the Chiefs. But it is something to be concerned about, I think. And also, just before we continue, gentlemen, I'd just like to bring you back to uh, our AFC West pod, uh, where I said that the Kansas City Chiefs will definitely Definitely lose their September rain this year by hook or by crook. And turns out it took two games to do it. They threatened with the with Cleveland, but no, it was the Ravens that finally broke the spell. You're welcome. Yeah, I think, like you said, the, the defence has certainly got its questions. It, it's been the Achilles heel for a couple of years now, hasn't it? Everyone's always felt as though you can get after the Chiefs defensively, certainly in the run game. And I think that's obviously where Cleveland and Baltimore in particular obviously excel. They've obviously exposed the weaknesses that are there. I mean, to be fair to the Chiefs, they they seemingly were in complete control of this game throughout Um you know, their their opening six drives resulted in four touchdowns. But the the offense just sort of disappeared after that. It, it just you know, until that last drive that ended with the fumble, they had a, a further drive which just was a three and out, um, ended with a terrible interception. I think Patrick Mahomes has called it the worst interception he's ever thrown, and it was a real surprise to see him throw that ball up, to be honest. He was going to the ground, wasn't a clever decision. Um, you know, and ultimately you know, field position could have been crucial at that stage. Next drive was a five-play drive that only netted 13 yards and ended in a punt. And then, obviously, they seemingly were back to moving the ball. But like you say, Clyde Edwards-Alaire put the ball on the ground. Um, and that was that, really. The Ravens, um, you know, to be fair, came back from a horrendous start. Let's be honest, it was a horrendous start. And I've been critical of Lamar Jackson. I'll continue to be critical of Lamar Jackson. I still am yet to be convinced that he is a good quarterback in this league. But what he's exceptionally good at is running the ball. And another record yet again, you know, another 200-yard passing day with another 100 yards on the ground. I mean, to be fair, Steve, 16 rushes, 107 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, to be fair, the last touchdown, I think even I could have scored it. He was that wide open. It makes you wonder what on earth the Chiefs were doing defensively. It was a very good trick play. And, and even I was fooled. I was watching the game and I was like, hang on a second. Has he still got the ball? <laughs> and he just he, he somersaults into the into the end zone. And it's a great it's a great design play. And I think they, you know, they rely on on Harbour's um, experience in the league to, to play to Lamar Jackson's strengths. And I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm, you know, how limited are you if your, if your USP as a quarterback is you're a mobile running quarterback, you know, you look at guys like Michael Vick, you know, he was a good quarterback, but he was never like elite, elite quarterback and he changed the league and Lamar Jackson's very similar to that. And, and again, he's, he, you know, he still needs to prove that. However, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of, 
um, unloading on Lamar Jackson, and yet he's just beaten the Chiefs for the first time in however many attempts it's been. So, you know, we've got to give him some props, and he's led that team. And, and you know, whether or not they, you know, um, Cle- uh, Cleveland, uh, Kansas City lost the game or if Baltimore won the game, they still come away from with the win. And yeah. that'll be hugely beneficial to this, especially the, the depleted team that they are at the moment with the injuries mm. they've got across the across the roster. You know, this will be this is a huge, huge win for Baltimore and it really does put them back in that playoff contention. And I and I wonder, you know, I I'm not suggesting Kansas City are gonna fall away and go five and twelve or something, but it does make you think like, you know, for for the last few years the AFC has gone through arrowhead every single time and it just it just makes you wonder is are the scales beginning to tip a little bit you know are we seeing you know uh, is is another AFC team like like a Baltimore or like a Kansas City or uh, sorry like a Cleveland or someone else like that are they finally going to you know upset the apple cart after after uh, Kansas City's years of dominance yeah something which you said to me uh, a couple of days ago Sean um you know after after the game you know, say say what you want about Lamar Jackson as a traditional quarterback in terms of that, you know, that kind of goes out the window when you've got someone who plays like Lamar Jackson. He cannot be compared to traditional metrics. He can't be compared as mm. a quarterback. I don't see him as a quarterback in the sense of a quarterback. I see him as just the leader of the offense, you know, where he can do pretty much everything. I don't think he does have the best arm. I don't think that he even has an average arm by NFL standards, but he doesn't need it. He's able to come up with plays after plays, and he's gutsy as hell. I've got to give that to him. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. he, he, will, he, he will drag Baltimore kicking and screaming through games. And that's pretty much what you want in a quarterback. So, you know, you can say what you want about his passing, which I thought was incredibly poor, at least in the first half against the Chiefs. I couldn't believe my luck watching the first quarter, thinking, my goodness, we're finally seeing a complete unravelling. But no, he's he's gutsy play. And the fact that Baltimore are more than happy to run the offence through his talent He's in the perfect situation there. It shows, and he will do what's necessary to get the dubs, and it's working. I would just uh, quickly give a, before we move on, a quick uh, shout-out as well to Marquise Brown, who had a, had himself a day, you know, and, and we don't often talk about Baltimore receivers. You know, six six receptions, 113 yards, averaging 18.8 per reception and a touchdown. So, yeah, he had himself a day, and if he can keep doing that, then maybe he won't be as, as unhappy as he was last year. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely there does need to be more variety in that offense. We talked about that in the in the preview pods, didn't we? Mark Andrews, five for fifty-seven. He certainly doesn't seem to be getting the same amount of targets and looks. You know, he was he was five catches on five targets. You know, he, he we were used to seeing Mark Andrews with double digit targets consistently. So there is definitely a focus on trying to get the ball outside of the hash marks. Um look, like I said, I think in the grand scheme of things, I actually think it's a really good result. I think, you know, in terms of the AFC, like you say, had the Chiefs won that game, that would have been two games against, you know, teams that are favoured to be in and around the playoff picture. Um, and if they'd have come out of that with a 2-0 and record, you know, it would have been a long way back for, for anybody in terms of, you know, thinking about the number one seed and all that kind of thing. It seems ridiculous to be talking about it this early, but these games seemingly take on this, this kind of magnitude early, don't they? So, uh, impressive win for Baltimore, particularly given the injuries, like you say. I think, you know, that can't be understated, the amount of transition that they've 
um, you know, had to put up with in the recent weeks. You know, none of these running backs are even on the roster last week, were they? So <laughs> it's incredible, really, that they're doing as well as what they are. Let's go back then, fellas, a couple of hours on Sunday night, and we had a real wild finish. The Titans at the Seahawks. It looked like this was going to be a blowout, but that all of a sudden changed as uh, King Henry suited up for the second half. He was a bit, a bit anonymous in the first half, but boy, did he take over in the second half, Josh. Yeah, what on earth happened to the Seattle Seahawks? You know, this game at half time, you're there thinking 24 9 Seahawks, they're at home, and you're thinking, well, that's easy. And, you know, are the Titans dead? Because they couldn't get anything going on offense at all. Henry couldn't get going, the passing game couldn't get going. You know, I think I saw Tannehill on the floor more than anything else whenever Red Zone switched over to them. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, Derek Henry pretty much puts uh, puts them on their back. Um, Seattle's defense is a constant worry, isn't it, lads? Really, um, you know, for for as good as they are, and the fact that every week you're guaranteed to have at least two plays where Wilson airs it out to lock it, and he's got about thirty <laughs> yards of space around him. You know, there seems to be the constant coming back to the fact that Seattle can't finish. They can't. They can't stand up on the goal line they can't they can't stop you from getting into the red zone and i think it's going to be something of which we're going to be saying quite a lot this season you know seattle will win more games than they lose but this shows that as long as you stay in the fight you're going to be in the fight and in fact the titans probably should have won it in regulation because that julio jones touchdown that got chalked off was definitely a touchdown i am not seeing I am not seeing what the refs apparently saw on that one. There was definitely a green line between uh, foot and line. So, uh, yeah, incredibly shocking. Uh, and also, one more thing before I pass it on to uh, Steve is the fact that Wilson choked in overtime. You know, the fact that the fact that his line was collapsing around him, yes, but the fact that he just kept holding on. I mean, you can't keep holding on in that situation when you're right by your guy. That was easy as well, surely. I'll pass it on to you, Steve. Yeah, and, and you talked about Ryan Tannehill earlier, and, and his his stat line shows exactly what this Tennessee team's all about. You know, he's 27 for 30, 347 yards, but not a single throwing touchdown. Um, and he was sacked three times. But yet, Derek Henry's got three touchdowns himself, 182 yards. It just shows you exactly what this Tennessee team's about. And like you said, this game should have been over at halftime. Seattle were up 24-9. Um, and and we're, we're dominating, and then they scored six more points the rest of the game. Like you can't you can't lose a game from that you know from being in control that much. And I read something really interesting, uh, a funny tweet at the weekend. Um, so that the Seattle is such an odd team because when they're in the red zone and it's first and ten, they're not dangerous. But when they're mm. on their own twenty three and it's third and three, that's when Russell Wilson's yeah. dangerous. And all of a sudden they throw a fifty yard bomb to Tyler Lockett and they score a touchdown. They're, they're the backwards sort of NFL team of, but they're so good at doing that. Uh, but they, it's just to be a Seahawks fan, it must be so frustrating to think why can't they do the basic things well? They can do that. They can do the dramatics and they can do the big splashy players. You know, Tyler Lockett had one hundred and seventy eight yards uh, on Sunday, and he really really shone in that game and like you say josh every time that you watch like the nfl highlights of the week 
clips on on the YouTube for for eighteen minutes. You can guarantee there's going to be a Seahawks play where uh, Wilson throws a bomb downfield and it's going to be Lockett or Metcalf underneath it with no defenders around him. Every week it happens every single week, but it must just be really frustrating that they you know they can't they can't finish it off. And you know this if they had that sort of oomph about them, I think they probably have another another Super Bowl ring and they you know they'd be more often in the conversation to be hosting the nfc uh championship game as it as it as it rolls through so yeah it must be really frustrating but i think the titans um sort of blew off the cobweb shall we say and and put that week one defeat behind them um and looked a much more polished team but like you said you know there's there's one route to stop tennessee and if you can if you can keep the king down then you stop him but he's proven that it's very very difficult to do that yeah, and I think there's a lot of credit that deserves to go to Mike Vrabel here as well. It's very easy when you're down by that much on the scoreboard to go away from the run game. That's the temptation, isn't it? Particularly when you've got you know the studs that they've got out wide now in Brown and and Julio. Um, it would have been very easy, but I always you know I've said this consistently. Tennessee will go as far as Derrick Henry runs them. It's as simple as that. As good as those receivers are, and you know what I think of AJ Brown, I think he's, he's the potential to be very, very special. But they will go as far as what Derrick Henry runs them. And if you imagine lifting up Derrick Henry and putting him in a Seahawks uniform, how good would that team be? If you think back to the heyday of the Seahawks when you had Marshawn Lynch in the backfield and you had that Legion of Boom defence, like you say, you've got lots of highlight plays now. You know, that 63-yarder this week to lock it. There was a 68-yarder to Freddie Swain. There's, Like you say, there's always these splash plays and they look fantastic. But that bread and butter of, like you say, some hard-nosed defence on third down to make a crucial stop, a, a tough two or three-yard run up the middle just to gain those extra yards to move the chains or punch it into the end zone. You know, Chris Carson, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, he got two touchdowns this weekend. He had 13 rushes for 31 yards. Yeah. You know, it's just over two yards of carrying. You know, that's not that's not consistently going to be getting the job done. You know, it's you know, I think there are serious questions there in Seattle. Yeah, it's a really tough division. We've talked about how tough that division is. Um, and, you know, I think they've, they've got an awful lot of questions that they need to, to answer because I think a lot of teams will just make sure that everything is kept in front of them. You know, it, it's been a bit of a trend this weekend. You know, we talked about um, Marquise Brown in the in the last game that we talked about. He was wide open over the back of the defence. We had Freddie Swain just like, basically seemingly in the half of the field on his own for Wilson to find him for 68 yards. I think defences already quickly just keep everything in front of them when it comes to Seattle and make sure that they have to grind it out because like you say at the minute they're just starting built to do that do they and it's interesting as well that Seattle's the first team in the NFC West to drop a game I definitely didn't think it would be Seattle of of those four teams we you know we talked in the NFC West preview about how good that division is and and every each of the other three teams are all two and all I didn't think it would be Seattle that would be the first to drop a game um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they respond to that, and if they can still sort of mount that, you know, eleven or twelve game winning season that it's going to take to win the NFC West. I don't know about that. I'd have, I'd have probably said they would have been the first ones to go, just because they were playing the Titans. You know, before the before the season started, this was always a fifty fifty game. Mm. This game was there for the win, though. It was there it for was. the win for Seattle. Oh, ab- absolutely. Just more of a case of I'm not unsurprised that they didn't get the win. When you look at it on paper, yeah, come on, Josh, tell the truth. You got Cliff Kingsbury fired by week two in your preseason predictions. Let's move oh, on to those. So I was going to say, move on to that one because let's, I can happily yeah. spit fire on that. Yeah, let's move on to the Cardinals. The, the quite possibly some of the 
luckiest plays I've ever seen in Kyler an NFL Murray game. Is the luckiest quarterback mm. alive. How on earth has he come away from that smelling of roses? I don't get it. I was watching that game, and all I could think was, "You jammy git!" Like <laughs> pretty much every three minutes when it would go back to it on red zone, I was like, "For God's sake, how?" There was one play, one play in particular, and it will forever be burned into my brain, where Kyler Murray looks at a, you know, he turns into a blocker. You know, a Minnesota blocker is on him. And then he somehow just sort of bounces out of him and then finds a guy with like 20 yards of space around him because Minnesota decided not to play man-to-man or, or it was a cover one or something like that. And just give him all the room in the world. And then you've got people going, oh, Kyler Murray, he's so great. No, he just he just oozes luck and it pisses me off. <laughs> I think I'd defend Kyler Murray a little you bit because would defend Kyler Murray because it, it, I think you have to give him his dues that he is elusive and is possibly possibly the best at it in the NFL. He is. Is it fair now to say that he is Lamar Jackson but a better thrower of the ball? Because he's got that elusiveness. You cannot take that away from him. He's got that ability to rush the ball when he needs to. He's very quick. But he can, boy, can he throw the ball. He's got an arm. And he's shown that the first two weeks of the season. And if the Cardinals are going to keep doing this, you cannot write them off. You can't. And I'm I'm with you, Josh. I I was I don't buy the Cardinals. I haven't for a while. And last season, that eight and eight season where they lost like five of the last seven, you look at that and you think, well, yeah, of course it is. It's the Cardinals. They were never going to go, you know, a positive season. But if they keep if he keeps playing like this and this team keeps playing like they are and they keep you know, at the end of the day, the NFL is just about winning the game in front of you. And I know they only won it by one point, but they still won the game. And, and if they keep doing that, out. They, they're going to get they? found out. They, they are. And I'm going to I'm going to save my main point for when we talk about game balls later on, because there's one gentleman in particular that started to work it out towards the end of that game. But there's two things of which get me about the Cardinals' offense, um, of which is. Whenever Kyler Murray throws the ball, he seems to just lob it. It seems to just be lob and pray. It goes to a guy who's double covered, and yet his guy turns out. Arizona's wide receivers are elite right now. Like even Rondell Moore, I'm putting into the goddamn Hall of Fame because there are some catches that they're making of which are just obscene. You know, the wide receivers are elevating Kyler Murray's stat- stats at the moment. But also the fact that he's buying time that he doesn't have, you know, he, he is on borrowed time. When, when line, when linebackers start realizing that you don't charge Kyler Murray at the start, but keep him in his pocket, he's far less dangerous. It's something that the Vikings were starting to do towards the end. They weren't rushing everyone to get after him because like you say, he is elusive. I love the word elusive as well, because elusive just means running out of danger. That is constantly there. Um, so yeah, I, they got the win of which again, the Vikings seem to have shot themselves in the foot because I felt like this was the Vikings for the taking Kyler Murray somehow won this game, rant over and Kirk Cousins balled out. If we're talking, if we're talking about QBs that deserve props, Kirk Cousins somehow ends up eating a loss. 
Whereas I think he had one of his best games in a in a Vikings jersey on Sunday. Uh, he was um, 69% accurate with a 122.4 passer rating. You don't see that a lot from Kirk Cousins nowadays. And, you know, that, that, that first minute pass, that 64-yard bomb to Osborne, you know, wow, what a state of intent. What a statement of intent that was. And with that, I seat the floor. <laughs> yeah, I think, look, I think there's certainly an element to look with some of the plays. I think you, you mentioned the Rondell Moore one. is I think the one that you were describing that he scampered down the sideline and, and ended up in the end zone. I think there was a, an even more lucky one that seemingly bounced off a defender, then hit somebody else, That's and it right. ended up in the, the hands of Max Williams, the tight end. Yeah, There are a few of those. I've got to agree with Steve. I do think he's... Uh, He's certainly, he's probably not as good of a runner as Lamar, but I certainly think he's a better passer than Lamar. Yeah, there um, is that. Yeah, I mean, look, though, let's face it, the elephant in the room here. If Greg Joseph makes a 37-yarder, this is a one-and-one one Cardinals team. So, you know, let's let's not get too carried away. You know, Greg Joseph left four points on the field um, on Sunday, which, you know, as a Browns fan, I've seen Greg Joseph do that previously. So I wasn't overly surprised. Although, isn't the NFL just wonderful? Makes them from 52 yards away, but a 37-yarder, it's amazing what a bit of pressure can do, isn't it, boys? Amazing what a bit of pressure can do. True. And the Card- the Cardinals next week, they go to the Jaguars, so that's probably going to be a W. But then after yeah. that, they've got the Rams, the Niners, and the Browns. So if they can come through that unscathed, then we have to talk- start talking about them as a Super Bowl contender. But that's a big three games there for the Cardinals. Yeah, it is. And I think if you'd have said to the Cardinals at the end of that six-game stretch, if you include the two that they've already played, if they could have come out of it at four and two, I think they'd have been quite happy with that. You know, So like you Absolutely. say, you assume, you assume they get the win next weekend. And then like you say, even if they only take one of the next three, I mean, for them, they probably want one of the uh, the you know the NFC West counterparts, you know, but you know, certainly if they can get one of the wins out of those three, I think they'll be uh, sitting quite pretty. Let's talk another NFC West team then, boys. Um interesting game in the early window. The early window, as Josh said at the start, kind of just, you know, sizzled really. It didn't really set itself alight, did it, the the early window, but probably the the most entertaining game, or certainly the game that had um, some some strange happenings, let's put it that way, was the Rams and the Colts, Steve. So, uh, good to see your old friend Carson Wentz has managed to do something that nobody ever has seemingly done in the history of sports injuries and sprained both of his ankles on one play. Yeah, I know. He's, he's, apparently, he's got a double ankle sprain and they don't know how long he's out for, which is just... You know, I, I, I'm just not surprised at all. I defended the guy for, for as long as I possibly could about him not being injury prone, but it seems to be that he is. And and you know what? After watching him play for Indianapolis last week and this week, it's just the way he is. He just holds on to the ball for too long. And it's just what he's always done. And when he's on your team, you sort of defend him. But when, you, when you're not rooting for him anymore, you sort of watch it and go, wow, you know, you need to be getting that ball out. But I'll give him props for the one play he did make down the field to um to Michael Pittman. You know, he, he held onto the ball for, for a long time and he had Aaron Donald in his face and he made that throw to, to Pittman for I think it was 42 yards but boy that was a good throw um, you know so when he wants to be he can be accurate but three sacks 27 yards lost um, a rating of 86.3 you know it's not great and now could potentially be out for who knows you know if it's a high ankle sprain that's what six weeks usually something like that so it you know already that's that in question his longevity but i think we cannot mention carson wentz without talking about that 
that shovel pass. Oh my god. Don't think I've ever seen someone intercepted on a shovel pass before. <laughs> it was I, I I saw Twitter was blowing up with it. It was like what has Carson Wentz just done? And I was like expecting like this, you know, this big dramatic touchdown pass. And then I saw it and I, I had to rewatch it like three times. Just like what has he done? What is that? For those who haven't seen it, just just watch it. Just watch Carson Wentz's interception from the weekend. And and I promise you, you'll be gobsmacked like I am. Yeah, it was a bizarre play. It wasn't the only bizarre play as well. I mean, I've watched, I, I've watched the. I, I don't even want to call it a muffed punt because that would suggest that the kicker did something wrong. It, I, the only angle I've seen it from, to be fair, is is the angle from behind. It's really, very difficult to see. But essentially, the snap comes back, hits some, hits one of the up men then rebound sort of across the end zone. I mean, to be fair, Johnny Hecker, for some reason, then tries to pick the ball up instead of just absolutely putting his foot through. I never really understood why he tried to to pick it up. And then, like you say, obviously the, the Colts pounced on it. I mean, it was a game that the Rams were, were seemingly in control of. And then all of a sudden, they found themselves behind going down the stretch. But um, Matthew Stafford, as ever... He's always been reliable, hasn't he, in the fourth quarter? You know, he's, he's got that record in Detroit where he's won many a game. Josh, I know it's not a game that you've seen an awful lot of in terms of the six o'clock window, but, um, you know, a couple of standout performances there, particularly Cooper Cup, nine receptions, 163 yards, a couple of big uh, touchdowns in this one. He's one of these receivers for me that always sort of sits in that underrated category. I don't know what your view on Cooper Cup is, but, you know, he's never talked about in the sort of top five, maybe not even the top ten in the position, but he's always a, a good, reliable target and, like I say, a good day for him in, in particular. As someone that has Cooper Cup in mini fantasy league, I would like him to continue to be very underrated because mm-hmm. you can always get him for a steal and he can come through for you with 35, 36 points like he did this week. Not enough to topple you in the dynasty one, but uh, hey-ho. Yeah, it wasn't even my teammate. No need to celebrate. I, I, I adopted <laughs> an orphan. Um, but no, Cooper Cup has been outstanding for, you know, for Jared Goff as well as... Uh, as Matthew Stafford, the chemistry that they've them two have got already is fantastic because you know they they connected on a fair few passes against the Bears as well, and you can see that it is a partnership that's going to flourish at least during Stafford's early early career with the Rams because that trust is developed or, already, and we know that first year quarterbacks in a new scheme like to pick on one particular receiver because it's always a trusted out. That's going to be Cooper Cup. So if you've got Cup in the fantasy league, guys, it play him every damn week because he's going to get touches. And because Cup is a fantastic receiver, he's going to get yards. Yeah, most definitely, mate. Just one final word on the game then, Steve. Jacob Eason obviously came in of relief of Carson Wentz. You've got to be slightly worried now if you're an Indianapolis fan, if, Cole, if Carson is going to miss some significant time. I mean, Jacob Eason, obviously, no tougher assignment, I suppose, than the Rams' defence first up. You just finished two of five for 25 yards, obviously through the pick to Jaden Ramsey as well. Um, I mean, dare I say, it, this is a season very, very quickly looking as though it could be derailed before it's even got going. And I think I, I was reading that, you know, with who's on the hot seat, and it's obviously very, very early to start that conversation, but this is the NFL. I've, you know, coaches have been fired after six weeks before, so it's, you know, it's never too early to start that conversation. And you start thinking, unless there's some serious, serious injury problems that you can sort of use as an excuse, 
Frank Reich's got to be feeling a bit his seat getting a bit warm because he's had a few seasons now and he's had some good players, uh, you know, in that roster and they still have a good roster. And if they slump, they've got they've got to go to the Titans next week. And if you know if they lose that, they're zero and three, which is not the start they would have wanted. I know it wasn't a tough opening for them, but zero and three is not the start they would have wanted. And then they've got the at the Dolphins and again at the Ravens, so they've got a three road game stretch coming up. Especially if Carson Wentz is out for those three games, you can't picture Jacob Eason leading them to winning any of those three games. So Indianapolis starting zero and five. If let's just assume, let's just play the game and assume that happens. That is a nightmare start, and then they go. To, then they've got a home game against divisional rival Texans, who, you know, are surprising a lot of people, and are certainly not the pushovers that we all thought they were going to be. Um, you know, all of a sudden that becomes a a, a pretty important game, um, and yeah, I think in in Indianapolis, you know, the, the the if if things don't start calming down, the wheels could very quickly start coming off, and they've I I'm I'm never been a hundred percent sold on the Colts, but. This is just showing you that they've, you know, I, I don't quite think they've got enough to, to sort of, uh, you know, to, certainly not to take it all away. And I'd, at the moment, I'd be very, very surprised if they're in the in the postseason unless some major things change. But like we said, a lot of this is going to be dependent upon upon Wentz and and what his injury prognosis is. What I would say to that just before we move on is I wouldn't lay that at the feet of the head coach simply because QB injuries you get the mulligan. So if you end up 0-5 with your QB1 out for three weeks and you've not got a competent QB2, that's on the GM. Chris Ballard's mm. far more on the hot seat than, uh, than than Reich is. And to be honest with you, with good reason, how have you not brought in Nick Foles yet? Nick Foles is literally just there waiting. Cam Newton. Cam Newton's just there waiting. You know, yeah. realistically, if he's out yeah. for considerable time, got to bring him Got to bring a guy in. I think they're going to have to bring a guy in. I was just looking at the death chart as you were talking there. Like you said, Wentz, we're assuming now he's going to be missing for some time. Sam um, Ellinger, um, he's already on IR. He was down as the third QB. It only leaves Jacob Eason. So somebody will be being signed, you would imagine. So like you said, we'll wait and see whether they swing a trade or they bring in a free agent. Um, you mentioned, Steve, that the Texans were a team that were still surprising a few people. Let's talk about some surprises. Josh, let's talk about your power rankings. It got lots and lots of grief last week, mate. Very difficult to do power rankings to you in your defence after week one. There were so many surprises, so many shocks, and I thought you gave a very good explanation of your thought process and logic behind how you had people where you had them. It's all a bit of a matter of opinion. We're not going to go through the whole list from one to 32, but just tell us a couple of your big movers and shakers, mate, and uh, who makes up your top two or three and your bottom two or three as well. Yeah, so uh, as a prologue to it, I did say that after week two, things would start calming down a hell of a lot more. And you two, after seeing advance notice, both said, yeah, that looks a lot more like it. It just took a bit of a bit of calm, a bit of general, just allowing things to take their course and take shape. So, uh, yeah, with that in mind, so um, the uh, top five... I'll give you the top five. Uh, Bucks stay where they are. Chiefs in second, um, just because I think that those two are still the class above. You know, the Chiefs lost the game to the Ravens. I feel um, not the other way around. Rams into third now. Ravens into fourth because they won the game against the Chiefs. Then the Browns in five. Um, you know, yes, the Browns won and yet go down two spots. It's just because the other two are just showing me something more at the moment. The Browns didn't. 
they didn't disappoint against the Texans, I thought, but they they still showed that the defense has got a fair way to go before we can start calling this team elite. Um, in terms of the main shakers from that, the Seahawks dropped to seven. The Titans move up three to ninth spot now. Dallas and Chargers move down a spot to make that happen. They're now 11 and 12. Arizona have stormed it, stormed up by, I think it's four or five places to 14th. Um, the Raiders are now 15th because the Raiders have had a great start, haven't they, lads? We've uh, we've not even touched that today, but they've been incredibly good on offense. 458 yards a game. It's the best in the league. Um, you know, in Arizona, 445 yards a game, second best. So, yeah, I can complain all I like about how it's happening, but, hey, <laughs> it's, uh, it's bringing up the results. And they've got good enough defenses as well. 11th and 16th, Arizona and Vegas. Uh, Pittsburgh are up a spot to 16th. That's only because the Dolphins and the Patriots are, are not as good as I thought. I've sent Miami, New England, and New Orleans down several places. They go 17th, 18th, 19th. Denver goes up three to 22nd. So, Steve, you get your wish that the Denver Broncos do move up slightly. Um, simply because of the fact that um, the New York Giants actually gave a bit more to Washington than I thought they would. So I felt like Denver actually did deserve a little bit of a jump up. Um, then I've got the Texans have gone up another two. Their ceiling has been knocked down and a new ceiling has been built. They are now 28th. Honestly, it's actually a relatively frisky side. Um, like I said, the Browns-Texans game, I wasn't so much worried about the Browns as I was impressed by the Texans. I didn't expect them to put in quite that performance. But Terod Taylor is now down, of which means it's Mills season. That's right. It's another it's another uh, brag by me. I did say that Tyrod Taylor would go down in an injury within the first few weeks and we'd have Mills season. It is here. Relish it. And sorry, Tyrod Taylor. Um, Falcons down 2 to 29. They just look god-awful, don't they? They got a lot of points against Tampa, but it was, the game was done by then. Uh, Jets also go down to 30. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't think that there's too much to to lean on there, chaps. Well, let, let me and Steve do the lean. And your article will be on the website and everybody can check it out and give you a load of stick as they did last week. Steve, there's a few teams we haven't really touched on. We're going to keep it brief because of time constraints. But let's just whisk through a few of these teams, if we may. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, let's be honest, they should have a power ranking all on their own, shouldn't they? Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, just ridiculous, aren't they? Yeah, and 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 I was it on the um, Mannings Monday Night Football cast. They had Gronkowski on, and he yeah. said he doesn't even watch tape; he just runs. And I thought that's such a Gronkowski thing to say. Doesn't even bother watching tape because he's about eight foot three and he's about four hundred pounds. So I, I mean, I, I don't really blame him. He's made a career out of just being in the right place at the right time and being able to muscle his way through. So yeah, the books are obviously uh, are obviously you know a top, and until they get beaten, I don't see any reason why they'd move. The only thing I would potentially pick is i'd probably have the rams over the chiefs um i think the rams have shown that they are that they are this uh, now an elite team with with stafford he's like i said last week he's taken them to this next level that golf couldn't get them to and whilst their defense is perhaps not quite as good as it was last year i think this offense is elite and like you said like cooper cup is having himself a real good season um but you know we're talking minor minor details 
we are and here's my one thing for because i did consider it for all of about five seconds the Colts stuck around with the rams pretty much to the end and Eason was in yeah, yeah. i Eason, mean Eason had a chance to win that game against the rams i can't was... give them second spot if that's happening I think that a lot of that is perhaps though that that punt that was I don't even know what happened that ended up in, a, in an indie touchdown. So it's, uh, the Rams' special teams has almost cost them the game there. Um, but yeah, I mean everyone everyone else is sort of you know green. We, we haven't even touched on Green Bay yet. They came back with a bang last night. Aaron Jones had himself a hell of a game, um, and you know they looked really really good last night. So Green Bay probably uh, you know back in the in the conversation again. Um, I'd perhaps have the Colts down a bit further because I think yeah, the Cardinals and the Raiders deserve to be higher. You know they, that's it, but. You know, apart from that, and I would, I would also, if we're going to flip it right over, I would make the case to have the Panthers higher as well. The Panthers are it. are quietly, you know, again, pinch of salt. We're only two games in, but the Panthers are quietly having a very, very good season, and their defense looks very good. Um, and they dismantled that Saints team. And I, and in my in in my predictions for the for the weekend, I I picked the Panthers to. Uh, overcome the Saints because I did think we talked last week about how it was just a flash in the pan win for the Saints he, you know uh, Winston had five touchdowns from 150 yards which is such a weird stat and and the Panthers proved it you know and 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 Darnold is beginning to get some real good chemistry with those receivers so yeah I'm going to be interesting to see the Panthers and and you know whisper it quietly but could the Panthers be the second best team in that division perhaps I think there's every chance, boys. I think there's every chance. Like you say, the article will go live at some point later tonight. Digest it, dissect it, and tell us where we've got it all wrong. But like you say, it's not a bad list whatsoever. Not a bad list at all, mate. I certainly think it's uh, it's taking shape. Let's put it that way. Like you say, only two undefeated AFC teams through two weeks. Who'd have picked the Raiders and the Broncos, fellas? That just uh, that just shows you how difficult it is to win in the NFL. And the Broncos get the uh, get the Jags next week. So is it the Jags? No, it's not the Jags. Who the Broncos go? I've got a really game. Jets, that's it. Jets. So the Broncos are going to go three and zero. They could be yeah. the only undefeated team in the AFC. So Denver Broncos. How? I think. How? I think people are. No one's surprised at how good their defense is. I think that was a given. But I think people are surprised at how well Bridgewater settled into that offense. And mm. he, you know, Cortland Sutton had that really good catch yesterday. Um, sorry, um, on Sunday, he's obviously come back in and has offered something immediately to that offense. So, yeah, it's, they, they seem to be clicking. And, and you know, again, the, the Broncos are a bit like the Panthers. You know, I know that, that division's tough, but could they make a charge for the playoffs? I know, obviously, very, very early days, and they've had probably two easier games. Yeah. And when the divisional games come around, might, that question might get answered. But, you know, started yeah. well. I think, I think they play the Ravens in week four or five. I yeah. think they've got four, a easy... Yeah. yeah, four. So you've got this. They'll be free and oh. They'll be riding high. The The spread will be about two points in Baltimore's favour, and that's where you just hit the over. That's where you just put your flipping house and everything on the over because the Baltimore Ravens will absolutely smack them down by the looks of it. So, Ooh, I, I can yeah. sense a sandwich bet coming on, mate. We'll leave that for next week's pod, though. We'll leave that for next week's pod. Let's uh, let's finish wrapping up week two before we start talking about week four, fellas. Let's hand out some game balls. Sean's done another brilliant article, which went up live on the website this morning. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you go and do so. Look forward to reading them every week from Sean. He's picked his offensive, defensive, coach and play of the week. Very quickly, boys, going to go through and ask you the same questions. So let's start offensive player. Steve, who are you giving? to 
Um, I, I think, as, jo- as Josh said, you, yeah, again, Derek Carr certainly deserves a shout again. Had another phenomenal game. Um, but probably Tyler Lockett, I think, you know, again, in that Seattle offense, he, he constantly comes up and makes plays. And he had another 150-plus yard game. So um, one of those two for me. Josh? Uh, yes, I- I've actually been uh, quite aligned there. I've got either Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett or Cortland Sutton. Um, the wide receivers because you know they they had great games. You don't see stat lines like this often in the league, and they should be celebrated. Yeah, no, difficult to disagree. I've got to be honest. I'm going to go with Sean though. I think Derrick Henry. I think he literally put that team on his back, and you know to produce such a, a stunning comeback. You know he didn't obviously kick the game-winning field goal, but he was instrumental on that drive in overtime as well to set them up for the field goal. So certainly some uh, some big performances that you could have chose from there. Sean's mentioned a few of the guys that you've mentioned as well. Defensively, Sean went with Daniil Hunter. Josh, you said you were going to make a, a point when we got to this section, so I'll come to you first. So here you go with Defensive Player of the Week? So I'm going with Sean's pick, actually. I'm going with Daniel Hunter because he does what you need to do against Kyler Murray, of which is to shed your block, but then wait for Murray to make the first move. Because if you keep him in the pocket, he, he, you know, he loses all of his power. Most of his power is him running all over the shop until wide receivers get free. I'm pretty sure Arizona don't actually run routes. I'm pretty sure that they just run into spaces um and it works but daniel hunter you know he got what was it three sacks and seven seven pressures in, mostly in the second half that's what you want from your edge rusher for the uh, minnesota vikings against someone like kyla murray so absolutely special mention as well to tyron matthew just for those two first half ints and then i went to bed thinking it was done yeah <laughs> steve are you giving yours out too um, I'm going for someone that he's actually mentioned in his article, uh, and that is Tampa Bay safety, Mike Edwards, because he had two pick sixes. I mean, you know, say what you will about how they just miraculously landed in his arms and he was 10 yards from the from the goal line. But still, having two pick sixes in a game, that is, you know, we, talk, we, we wax lyrical about Chandler Jones, who, by the way, had a very, very quiet week this week. You know, he had five sacks last week. He must have used all his energy um, and had a very quiet week this week against uh, Kirk Cousins as well. You would have thought he might, might have picked up a couple, but he didn't. So, um, yeah, I'm going with Mike Edwards, who padded his stat line nicely with with two pick sixes. So, yeah, I thought that was an impressive performance. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think, again, like I said, I think Sean's probably hit the nail on the head, but I think, you know, you can give a shout-out to a couple of collective defences as well. You know, Buffalo pitched a shutout. Doesn't happen every day on the road in Miami in September. Um, obviously took two out of the game early, you know, with a completely legal hit. You know, they were just swarming both Brissett and Tua when he was in the game all game long. Big bounce back for Buffalo and, of course, you know, Bill Belichick dialing up another beautiful game plan, confusing the hell out of a rookie corner quarterback. Poor, poor Zach Wilson. Dearly me. Deary, deary, deary me. Four interceptions. I think at one stage he was four completions and four interceptions, wasn't he, boys? Um, they obviously went easy on him after that because he ended up uh, completing, you know, quite a few passes after that. But yeah, at one stage he was four, four completions, four picks. So not a good day at the office for the Jets. Let's talk coach then. Sean went with John Harbour. Steve, who are you giving your coach of the week to? Um, there's a couple of candidates. Um, I'd say certainly Sean McDermott. You know. A, a, 
a shutout for any team is imp- is incredibly impressive. And Buffalo came with a you know a real comeback performance this week, and really you know again I think there was a couple of teams this week that sort of you know just picked themselves back up and said right let's forget about week one we we go on we we go again and and yeah I think Sean McDermott um you know um certainly uh, gave a good account of himself and I would also say Matt Rule as well for Carolina you know after New Orleans performance in week one that's a difficult game to have them come come into visit after their you know keeping Green Bay to only three points and putting up 38 themselves to then only scoring seven points against a Carolina team that most people were saying would be sort of a 500 team so yeah uh, Matt Rule would be my other suggestion Josh I have to admit, this is one of which I didn't actually do any research for, I'm afraid, lads. Literally, I've done done something for everything else. I've even got second and third ones, but nothing for the coach one. Just because I find it quite difficult, in, in effect, to actually pick, pick one out. Um, I'd probably end up going with what Sean's actually gone for, but I'll let you, uh, I'll let you tie that up nicely, Sean. Thank you very much. That's that's no problem, my friend. I, I mentioned Mike Vrabel earlier. I think he deserves a lot of credit. Big comeback on the road, and and obviously, like I say, sticking to your your principles and your game plan. For for those of you that have been with the full ten yards for a while, you'll remember we had a section called Jason Garrett Corner. So I'm going to flip this on its head. I'm not going to give you the coach of the week. I'm going to give you the dumbest coaching decision of the week. I watched it live. I didn't understand it live. It's now two days removed, and I still don't understand it. Houston third and thirteen gained twelve yards and were given a penalty, which would have made it third and eight. They declined the penalty to set up fourth and one. Now, if they'd have gone for it, fair enough. They decided to, on fourth and one to punt the football. So rather than keeping the offence on the field, they decided to punt the football, and then just to rub salt in the wound, the punter put it straight into the end zone as well. So quite possibly, David Cully, one of the most baffling head coaching decisions I've ever seen. So maybe not necessarily coach of the week, as opposed to a certain different C word of the week, I'll let you fill in the blank there, <laughs> ladies and gents. I mean, Final it's, one, it's, boys. It's George Judge. He, he's obviously started a trend of ridiculous coaching decisions when it comes to flags. And just quickly on that, there were no coaching challenges during week two this week. That's the first time it's happened since 1999. No coaching challenges whatsoever. Obviously, everyone's seen George Judge and gone, oh, God, I don't want to be caught. I don't want to do a George Judge. And they've all just left their red flag in the locker room and gone, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's it, man. Better safe than sorry. That's what everybody thought. Let's finish it off then, Feathers Play of the Week. Uh, the final bit on the article that will go up every week. And like I say, if you haven't done so already, please do go and check Sean's fantastic work out. He went with uh, the angry run, if you like, from Damien Harris. Was a fantastic play. Steve, who are you giving yours to? Um, there's a couple of candidates. Uh, Justin Herbert's throw to Keenan Allen was a beauty, and it, it made even better by the fact that the the Cowboys cornerback was it Trayvon Diggs was at full stretch and just it just like sailed over his fingertips straight into the arms of Keenan Allen. So that was a wonderful play. Um, but also, I would give a shout out to my very own Jalen Hurts to Quez Watkins, 91 yard completion. The Eagles at the point at the that where they were in their own end zone, um, you know, back right up at their, I think it was their own three yard line or something like that. And he bombs one down the, down the sideline to Quez Watkins, who almost, who almost takes it in. I think it was a horse collar on that play, but um, almost takes it in. So yeah, th- those are two honorable mentions for me. Was 91 yards not enough? No. Well, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't punch it in. We did not punch <laughs> it in. So no, it wasn't. <laughs> Josh, your player of the week. Yeah, I, I'm going to give love to to the special teams here. Uh, Jamal Agnew getting a 102-yard kickoff return touchdown in the Jags' loss to Denver. 
we have a kickoff return touchdown at long last. God, it feels like forever since I've said those words. And I have to admit, those are the sort of players that made me fall in love with the NFL in the first place. Now, the first Super Bowl I ever watched was um, Super Bowl 41, I think it was, Indy versus Chicago, uh, where Devin Hester, literally the first player of the Super Bowl, scored on a, on a kickoff touchdown kickoff return touchdown and those are the sort of plays i love and it was a fantastic move especially when you consider just how difficult it is to do nowadays so hats I, off to him on that one everyone loves a kickoff return touchdown because there's just a couple of seconds of madness in the middle of the field where you're not quite sure where the ball is or the runner yeah. is and all of a sudden he just emerges and then he's got a couple of blockers and he and he gets it in it's it's such a rarity but i agree it's such a such a, a rare gem in the nfl when it does happen yeah yeah, the other specials team player to give a shout-out to, Matt Prater knocking through a 62-yarder, which felt like it would have that been good from great. about 72 yards as well, to be fair. Yeah. He's got a hell of a leg on him, hasn't he? There was a few players that were quite similar this week, I felt, in terms of the Damien Harris one. You know, it felt like he should have been brought down earlier than he was. I also think there's the Travis Kelsey one that, you know, let's face it, that was a, a bit of a broken play. And, you know, again, he probably should have been tackled at about the 40-yard line and rumbled all the way into the end zone. I'm going to give some love, though, to a Cleveland Brown to end the podcast. His first, his first NFL touchdown, his first NFL catch, let alone his first NFL touchdown catch. Yeah, Demetric Felton. Yeah, it was excellent. Brilliant catch. Spin move took out three defenders and he rumbled into the end zone after breaking a few more tackles as well. So plenty of highlights this week. Lots and lots of good plays. Lots and lots of good action. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you go and check it all out. On Game Pass, get your Sunday in 60. Um, always worth a watch if you uh, want to catch the best bits from all the games. We'll be back later in the week, fellas, to preview week three. Can't believe we're already talking about week three already. The season is flying by, but it's been great fun. Hope everybody enjoyed week number two. If you haven't done so already, please do go and check out all the brilliant content that's on the site. And as we said earlier, make sure you go and give Josh plenty of hell for his power rankings, which will go up later on tonight. We'll be back on Thursday. Until then, boys, thanks ever so much. Keep it all tuned to Full 10 Yards. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to find us on all our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game.